This is week number five in our series, Going the Right Way in a Wrong Way World. Um, it's been an interesting series, hasn't it? We started right after the Beatitudes, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus was introducing the kingdom of heaven, that the people were called to repent because it is arriving. And this is the fifth week that we've been looking through that. And next week we're going to have, believe it or not, the sixth week. It's the last week. It's a six-week series. Next week we're going to see how Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with a choice. And he's going to give his listeners two choices. And I'm looking forward to presenting that next week so that you all can understand the choice the way Jesus presented it. But this week, the message might be called the Evaluation Denunciation. And I think you'll understand why I call it that in just a little bit. And I think you'll be shocked at the conclusion that I've come to as I've studied this. Uh, I want to illustrate just for a moment the way our nation has used its liberty of speech. This, uh, the 5th of July, yesterday was the 4th of July, Independence Day in our nation. And we all have this freedom to use our speech any way we want to, within some limits. And I've come to the conclusion that for the most part, the people in the United States have used their freedoms to skip several steps in what would be called a logical decision-making process. Our people are quick to jump to conclusions, aren't they? I will tell you one of the first and most dramatic times that I realized that people will jump to a conclusion very quickly. Uh, it happened in a house that looks a lot like this one. Now, when I put that up there, I want to tell you, just for full disclosure, this is not the house that it took place in. This happened 25 years ago. Um, but it, had, it was a house that looked a lot like this one. The major difference was is this door part was kicked down. And the house was actually up on a, a, a foundation that was about four or five steps high. Now, when I put that picture up there, does anybody come to some conclusions about what that house is? I do. Uh, first thing I see when I saw that, well, partially because I put crack house in the search engine, but uh, it's a crack house, all right? This is where people go to use drugs. It's usually an abandoned house. It's a place where people won't go in very often. It's not a place to go to buy drugs, but it's a place to go to use drugs. And when I was working in Kansas City, the district that I was working in had one of these in almost every neighborhood. It wasn't unusual for me to go to one of these. And I got a call to one of these one day. I didn't know what it was till I got there, but I got a call for a shooting. And at that point, I was addressing this call kind of like I address every other call. You know, we, we get shootings three, four times a week. And it wasn't a big deal. It was one of those types of calls that easy to forget. It doesn't hang with you for very long. And I got there and I saw the crack house and that didn't surprise me. I went into those all the time too. But when I got inside, I shifted gears. I went from, this is just a routine call to this is a call I'll never forget. Because when I got inside, there were five people that had been shot. And all of them were still alive. Instantly, I realized that I needed more help. And so I got on my radio. I always carried the microphone right up here on my collar so I could click the mic. And I called the dispatcher and I said, I've got multiple shootings. I need four more ambulances and a fire truck for manpower. Trusting the police department to respond appropriately. Well, I 
went about my business. I started triaging and selecting which patients would go first and which patients would go later and the one that I would take, which would be the last one. And the other ambulances came and we got their patients packaged and they went their way and I was inside the building for about 30 minutes. And when I got my patient, all the other patients were gone, and my patient was on the cot, and we were on our way out the door. I didn't quite get to the door when I realized that this wasn't a call that would be easy to forget. It wasn't a call that I would remember for the rest of my life. But this was a call that I would want to forget. It was the call that would wake me up in the middle of the night. Because as I approached the door, I could hear them outside chanting, Let them die. Let them die. Let them die. When I got to where I could see outside the door, I was at the head of the cot, so I was the last one out, and I got outside and I could see the entire neighborhood on the street with about a dozen cops pushing them back. And the sergeant looked at me and he said, you'd better get out of here. And I said something similar to, no, Kidding. I realized at that point that people, the people of that neighborhood, had decided that these folks don't deserve to live. They had jumped to the conclusion that they were the problem that they needed to solve and they didn't care if people died to solve it. It's not all that different than what we see in the media today, is it? If I put this slide up here, is there anybody who doesn't recognize those two faces? Floyd George on one side and a cop whose name I have intentionally not looked up on the other side. And the ramifications that that's had in the last month or so. I firmly believe that there is not a person on planet Earth who comes within arm's reach of any form of media or technology that does not recognize this picture. It's had tremendous ramifications on our world, so much so that, uh, as you know, it's caused riots, but it caused one riot that caught my attention in particular, the one that happened in Buffalo, New York. It was a Monday morning, I believe, when I got on my uh, apps to read the news. I usually look at the BBC News sometime in the morning, see what they're reporting on, and I saw this picture, and underneath was a caption that caught my attention. Buffalo police charged with assaulting senior man, elderly man, I think it was. And I looked at that, and it caught my attention for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, is because police don't usually assault elderly people. They, they don't want the paperwork. Uh, second is, you don't usually see police officers charged with assault. Normally in the media, you see them charged with brutality or a misuse of authority or something like that. Assault, in fact, we were taught that assault doesn't even mean physical. Assault's always verbal. And so what do they do? Call the guy a name or something? So anyway, I went and looked at it. And I found on, their, on the link a video that was about 30 seconds long. And it basically showed these police officers ready to uh, enforce the curfew that the mayor had assigned. I, I don't know if it was 8 or 9 o'clock, whatever it was at night, but the curfew was starting, and they were going to go enforce it, and they were all in their riot gear. And as the video started, somebody said, March, and the police officers took a step or two and stopped. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on there. And then this elderly man steps into the frame. 
And he reaches out to grab the shoulder of one of the cops. And do you see what he's doing with his other hand? He's reaching for his belt. And every cop I know would react to that. So I got on Google, because I've never believed that the media really tells me everything that I needed to know. So I got on Google, and I typed in video, New York, uh, Buffalo, New York, uh, police assault. And I got a video that was about five minutes long. And first three and a half was before the video that the BBC had shown. And in that video, you could see these two officers and this guy chatting like they're old friends. For like three and a half minutes, they're standing there like, uh, if you hadn't known what was coming, you'd have thought, well, he must be a retired officer talking to his old buddies. And then this voice comes on that says, curfew in 30 seconds, and the old man steps off camera. And I thought, what on earth is he doing? So I went and looked up another video, found a different angle, and he just barely stepped out of camera. He knew exactly where he was. And then I heard the, whoever was in charge say, march. And this guy steps into the camera, reaches for the, the officers, and the officers freeze. And then somebody in the background yells, shove them. And to most people, that's an assault. But what that, uh, I've seen these guys train, and they use the word shove to be kind of like hurt them, move them forward, move them into one place so that we can process them. At least that's what I assumed that he, the other officers meant when they say shove them, keep them moving, keep them moving towards the center. So they push him. And that's when I saw what shocked me more than any of it. Because the old man didn't put his foot back to stable himself. The old man didn't grab a hold of the cop so that he wouldn't fall over. He snapped his right foot up against his left one, folded his wrists in his lap, and rolled over backwards. Now, I've told this story in detail because what I want you folks to get out of this is that there's often more to the story than the media will tell you. But as far as this goes for our message today, This was staged, folks. This was staged so that people would jump to a conclusion that they wouldn't have jumped to otherwise because whoever staged this knew that the people of America jumped to conclusions. The media isn't the only one, though, is it? We can jump to conclusions for a lot of things. Let's, let's stop and think for a moment. In the past four or five months, have any of us ever walked into a public building and felt like we were being stared at because we wore the face masks? Or felt like we were being criticized because we weren't? Have you ever been driving down the highway and saw a car broke down on the side of the road, and when you looked at the car, you thought to yourself, why do they let a jalopy like that on the road? <laughs> or have you ever been in a neighborhood and looked at a house and jumped to a conclusion about the people who live there? And that kind of depends on what side of town you're on when you're looking, because if you, in Enid here, if you go over to the east side of town and you look at a house, it's very easy in many of those homes to say, well, that must be a welfare case. 
But you go on the west side of town, if you go into the right neighborhoods, it's very easy to look at some of those houses and say, boy, I wish I was like them. I would like to have a house like that. Yeah, I can tell you from uh, knowing some of those people that live in the wealthier part of town, the debt load that they carry keeps them from, from enjoying it. One more. You ever look at somebody, see somebody coming into a room and have one of your friends or your family or somebody look at them and say, what on earth were they thinking? That outfit is totally inappropriate. And that hits home for some of us in church, in this very room, in the last month. I've been approached by somebody saying, why do you let them dress like that in your church? It's very easy. People in this country will jump to a conclusion that quick. Would it surprise you to think that Jesus recognizes that? And doesn't criticize it. Now as we open our passage today, Mike read it for us earlier, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, we have a, a verse that many of us as Christians, when we've tried to share our faith, we've been beat over the head with this verse. It says, judge not, so that you won't be judged. But if you look through this passage carefully and study it, instead of just let somebody else tell you what it means, which I'm going to do by the way, um, if you study it for yourself, you'll find out that Jesus is not instructing not to judge, but how to judge. The first thing that he gives is a prohibition against hypocrisy. Judge not so that you will not be judged, for with the judgment you condemn, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's not saying don't judge, just use the right criteria to judge with. And then he tells a story that is probably the funniest story I personally know of in the Bible. I, I believe Jesus had a sense of humor. I don't think you could attract those crowns if you're too stern. And I think we just miss the sense of humor sometimes because of the cultural differences. But he tells this, uses this little parable to describe what judgment is like that must have had people just rolling on the ground when he was preaching this on the, on the mount. He says, why do you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you've got a log in your own? It's amazing the word picture that he's using here. Can you imagine somebody with a tree growing out of their eye, looking around and saying, oh, you got a speck in your eye. Let me help you with that. And as he swings around, clunk. And now he's not going to give you any fight taking that speck out of his eye. Or worse yet, he's that guy that walks into a room and says, oh, I see you've got a speck in your eye. I know all about taking specks out of people's eye. Look at what I've worked up to. As if it's something to be proud of. And then Jesus does what he usually does when he's using humor. He turns the tables very quickly and he says, you hypocrites. The Greek word hypocrite is hypocrite. We've never, we've never changed that word in all the history of the English language, but they used it specifically for actors. And to help you understand what impact that would have made, you have to remember that when they acted, their concept of acting was not dramatic. It was not uh, physical. It was basically a recitation 
of something that had been written. When they did Homer on the stage, they didn't act out those fights. They read the poems or they recited the poems. So much so that sometimes people had a hard time keeping track of what the emotion was supposed to be, so they would carry two masks in their hands. You've seen them, the one with the smile and the one with the frown. And if it's a happy, happy poem, they put the frown behind their back and hold the smile up front and recite it. What he's basically giving you is a picture of someone who's two-faced. You, two-faced, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to help your brother get the speck out of his eye. It's not an admonition against making decisions or evaluating value. It's an admonition not to be hypocritical when you do it. So much so that he has to go on to the next point and give a prohibition against imprudence. He says, do not give to dogs what is holy. And again, the context uh, adds the emotion to this because holy was what the Israelites thought they were. Jewish people thought they were holy. We're special. We've got the law. We know God. We've got the temple. All the rest of you are beneath us. But more than that, they would actually use this Greek word for dogs to describe anybody who wasn't a Jew. So don't take the time to share what you know is special with somebody who won't appreciate it and won't benefit from it. It goes on to say, don't cast your pearls before pigs. We all know what the Jews thought of pigs. And why should we not do that? Because they'll trample them and then they'll turn and attack you. So he's saying, be prudent in the way you share what you've evaluated. Be careful that you're not making things worse instead of better. Then we read a few verses that most of the time you will read by themselves. They're not read in context. Uh, and it's an admonition for dependency. And it says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. I don't have a problem with using this as an uh, encouragement to consistent and passionate prayer. That's a good thing. But in context, what this is saying is if you don't know whether you're being prudent and you don't know whether you're being hypocritical, ask God. Because if you ask, you will receive the answer. If you seek the answer, you will find it. And if you knock, it will be open to you. Just like a father who gives a loaf of bread to a son who asks for a loaf of bread, not a stone. Or gives his son a fish when he's asked for a fish and not a serpent. And then he says something. Jesus didn't pull any punches. He looked at him and says, and you being evil know how to give good gifts. God will give you what you need when you don't know how to react to something you've decided or how to decide when you're presented with the evidence. He finishes with a verse that all of us could maybe quote. Verse 12, the ideal policy for our judging others. So do to others what you would have them do to you. For this is all the law and the prophets. Would you, would you um, be willing to accept that this is not original with Jesus? 
There is a version of that statement that goes all the way back to Persia that says, it says it this way though, it says, do not do to anyone what you would not want them to do to you. And it was a well-known axiom at the time. Uh, all the Greeks, most of the Jews would have probably heard that. But did you catch the difference? Jesus says, actively do to other people what you would have them do to you. The Persian way of saying it is, I don't have to do anything. I'm not doing anything to them that I wouldn't want done to me. I can be passive, I can ignore it, or I can walk away. But Jesus says to be active. If you see somebody who needs to be confronted, if you need, see somebody who needs to be encouraged, if you see somebody who needs to hear that they're doing a good job, you do to them what you would want them to do to you. Actively. Seeking it out. In essence, what he's saying is judge like you want to be judged. If you decide to use a lot of those COVID precautions and you see somebody who has made a different decision, you react to them in a way that would make it easier for them to do what they've decided to do instead of criticizing them for not being just like you. If you have, see somebody who's driving that beat up old car, stop and think for a minute. How would I want somebody to react to my car troubles if that's the best I could get? If you see somebody who's got that wonderful house or maybe that beat up old nasty house, stop and ask yourself, how would I want people to react? if that was the best I could do for my family. Or if you see somebody who's wearing clothes that obviously came from the thrift store, and maybe they don't quite fit the context for the day or the environment that you're in, ask yourself, if I had to choose between clothes and going without, what would make it easier for me? Because when we understand this evaluation, denunciation in a proper way, and we begin to exercise that, then we become slower at criticizing and faster at encouraging and equipping. We begin to create a world where when people don't have, they don't feel criticized. We begin to understand that many of the things that we have are really God's grace and not our merit. Understanding the evaluation, denunciation in the right way is the next step in going the right way in a wrong way world. Let's take this chance to pray. Father, we want to thank you um, some of the things that Jesus said in this passage were pretty blunt, pretty direct, and in some cases maybe even hard to hear. But we thank you that you have caused them to be recorded accurately so that we can hear them. Because sometimes we need to hear things that aren't pleasant. Sometimes we need to hear, we need to hear that we can do better. 
Because we tend to judge others instead of judging ourselves. We tend to treat others in a way that makes us feel superior or better in some way. Instead of seeing what they need and encouraging them. Father, for those of us that are thinking to ourselves right now, we haven't done very well judging the way Jesus taught us to judge. I ask you to remind us that we are forgiven, that we are still part of your family, and that we still have time to grow. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the liberty that we have, and we thank you for the teaching in your word that teaches us to use it properly for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.